Hang. Uh, my name is Katie Aldrich. We are here to talk about mindfulness. Um, it's been a little bit of a joke sort of in the mindfulness world that now that lawyers are talking more about wellness and well-being, firms and organizations like to say things like, oh yeah, we, we have well-being programming. We did a session on mindfulness last year. And there's this sense that mindfulness sort of checks the box. And as somebody who teaches mindfulness, I can tell you that there is a lot more to wellness and well-being than just mindfulness. But why we see so many organizations looking to mindfulness as a first resource in terms of wellness and well-being is because it provides so many benefits on so many different levels. And it's something that you can do very quickly, very simply, very easily for free that gets you benefits, not just in the space of wellness and well-being, but also actually helps you be more effective and more productive in your jobs. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. By way of a quick introduction, um, I am a former litigation attorney. I worked at a firm in Boston for several years. I'm currently a certified coach. I work with clients on a variety of issues, including career transitions. So if you're thinking about moving into a different type of role or maybe moving out of the law, I could definitely help talk you through that. And obviously I also teach mindfulness and other wellness topics. I'm currently a coach and trainer at Fringe Professional Development. And at Fringe, we really focus on communication, communication with your team, with your clients and yourself. So today we're definitely gonna be in that realm of communicating with yourself. We do this through trainings, online trainings like this, and also in-person trainings, which we can hopefully get back to at some point in the future. Coaching, individual and group coaching, and we also do consulting projects for firms and organizations. So if you have any questions about any of this or are interested, please reach out and I can give you more information. So what are we talking about today? We'll spend some time talking about the benefits and background of mindfulness. We'll talk about why it's especially important for lawyers to practice mindfulness. And we'll talk about how you can actually make it happen. So what do we know about the benefits of mindfulness? There is a ton of research coming out these days about mindfulness. A lot of it is really rigorous, really detailed. Some of it is a little more clickbaity, so you buyer beware as you're seeing headlines and um, seeing all of those newspaper and magazine articles about mindfulness. But what we do know is that mindfulness really helps us increase our attention, increase our focus, increase our ability to make decisions, helps increase our mental clarity, our social and relational skills and well being. It helps us build resiliency, it helps us manage stress, it can improve our immune system, it can help us with the quality and quantity of our sleep and it can help mitigate some of the effects of depression and anxiety. So there are a lot of benefits, both in that mental wellness realm, but also in our productivity and effectiveness at work. Now, mindfulness is a type of meditation. And when I say meditation, for many of us, that conjures up certain images. So I wanna spend a few minutes just knocking back some of those myths. It is not a religion. It is not anything particularly spiritual. 
You don't have to put on your robes and sit on the floor and light your candles and get your crystals and your incense going. It's really a secular practice, yes, derived from Hinduism and Buddhism and some Eastern religions, but the way that we see it taught and practiced today in organizations, in law firms, in hospitals, in the military is a completely secular practice. So back in the 1970s, there was a doctor, John Kabat-Zinn, who's from Massachusetts, and he went to Asia. He learned about some of these practices, and he wondered what would happen if he stripped out the religious and spiritual elements and taught this basic mindfulness practice, which we're going to learn more about today, to some of his patients. So he got permission to work with patients who had chronic illnesses, who had chronic pain, um, people with terminal diagnoses, people that weren't responsive to other types of treatment. He taught them this mindfulness practice to see if that would help them. And what he found was that people with terminal illnesses reported an increased quality of life. Those with chronic pain reported less suffering from that pain. So he converted this mindfulness practice into an eight-week class known as Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, MBSR, and that has really formed the backbone of the practice that we're going to be learning today. In Boston, Massachusetts, we are really lucky that we have so many colleges and universities and hospitals, and many of them offer MBSR classes to the public. So if you're interested in this practice and want to take it to a deeper level and go through that eight-week program, I highly recommend finding an MBSR class that you can take. Mindfulness is also not about doing it right. So as lawyers, we tend to be very type A and high achieving. And what I hear from a lot of people after they start practicing is, am I doing this right? Is this working? I don't know if I'm doing it right. And that doubt then leads to people stop practicing. It leads to people saying, this isn't for me. I don't think it's working. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not gonna try. There's really no way to do it wrong. If you have some basic instruction, which is what you're going to get today, which you can also get from some podcasts, books, YouTube videos, there are so many resources out there today. If you have some instruction and you have the intention to practice mindfulness, you are doing it right. You really can't mess it up. And there aren't any particular rules. People always ask, how many minutes a day should I practice? Should I do it in the morning? Should I do it at night? It doesn't matter. The best way to practice is the way that's going to work for you and the way that is going to be sustainable. So there aren't really any rules when it comes to mindfulness. It's also not about zoning out. So especially as lawyers, I hear things like, I can never practice mindfulness. I have too many thoughts. I'm always thinking. I can't clear my mind. Spoiler alert. You will always be thinking until you're dead. The mind is made to think. Thoughts just bubble up of their own volition. We don't have control over it. And mindfulness isn't about clearing our mind. It's not about stopping those thoughts. It's just about being more aware of those thoughts. And this isn't going to turn you into some hippy-dippy, Pollyanna, super chill, not a care in the world type of person. As I said earlier, we see this being taught in corporations, in the military, in schools, in police forces. And if it did kind of zone you out, I don't think we would be seeing the US military teaching it to people. As I said earlier, 
Mindfulness actually helps improve your focus, improve your clarity, sharpen your edge. So it's not going to, you know, turn you into somebody that's unable to do your job effectively. It actually helps with that effectiveness. So what is it? It's actually easier than you think it is. So we are all practicing moments of mindfulness every day without even realizing it. I'm gonna teach you some techniques that help you practice mindfulness intentionally so that you know that you're doing it, so that you can start feeling some of the real benefits from it. But it's not hard. We tend to, as I said earlier, being type A, being overachievers, we tend to get really focused on the techniques and making sure we're doing them correctly and putting in a lot of effort. But at its base, mindfulness is an almost effortless process. It's really something very simple. So if you feel like it's hard, if you feel like you're really pushing and leaning into it, take a step back. You probably are trying too hard. It's a lot easier than you think. It's also based in science. As I said, there's so much research coming out about mindfulness right now and how it really rewires and changes your brain. So if you're interested in that neuroscience, let me know. There are a bunch of resources I can point you to. And it's not necessarily relaxing. So don't turn off the webinar right now. I know a lot of you are probably here for stress relief and um, to help build some of that resiliency and those coping mechanisms. So to hear that it's not relaxing is probably the last thing you wanna hear. But what I mean by this is that in that period of time that you are practicing mindfulness, it's not necessarily the most relaxing experience. It's not like taking five minutes to practice is equivalent to five minutes in some spa or some retreat. That five minutes might actually be pretty difficult. It might feel boring, it might be tedious, but over time in the rest of your life, those relaxation benefits, those stress management benefits, those resiliency benefits develop, even if in that five or 10 minutes of formal practice, it feels hard, it doesn't feel relaxing. So I'll get into more detail about this in a few minutes. Um, but I think that when we go into the practice with this assumption that I'm gonna feel super relaxed after, trying to feel relaxed actually makes us a little more stressed out. So what is it? John Kabat-Zinn's definition is mindfulness is paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, and non-judgmentally. So we're gonna take a second to try this out. Now, without moving anything, you don't need to look in any particular place. You can keep your eyes exactly where they are, keep your body exactly where it is. Bring your attention to your right hand. What do you notice? You might feel some vibration, maybe some heat, some cold. You might notice that one finger feels more prominent than other fingers. That's it. We just practice mindfulness. We can go through the checklist from our definition. We were paying attention to our hand on purpose. We did it intentionally. We were in the present moment. Our bodies are always in the present moment. So we tend to use our physical body as what we call an anchor, as something that is in the present moment that we can bring our attention to. And hopefully we did it non-judgmentally. As you felt the sensations in your hand, hopefully you weren't thinking, 
oh gosh, why does my hand feel like this? This is the worst hand. I wish my hand was different. You were just noticing what experiences you were feeling. That is mindfulness. It's pretty simple, but it's not necessarily easy because the challenge with a mindfulness practice is that we want to bring our attention back to the present moment over and over and over again. I'm sure that since I've been talking this past few minutes, your attention has wandered from your hand. Now you're thinking about what I'm saying, what I might say next. Maybe you're thinking what you're gonna have for lunch. Now you're definitely thinking about what you're gonna have for lunch since I mentioned it. So our minds aren't in the habit of focusing in the present moment consistently. So that's where the challenge of practice comes. You bring your attention to something in the present moment, you notice when your mind wanders off, and then you come back to the present moment. That motion, that mental activity of noticing you're distracted and coming back into the present moment, that is the exercise of mindfulness. That is what we are training. So as you practice, you will become distracted, and you don't want to judge yourself for that. That's actually the point. The point is to notice that you're distracted and then purposefully bring your attention back to the present, back to that anchor point. So we're gonna take some time to do this in a more sustained way. We're going to do what we call a formal practice or a seated practice. So now I, you are going to move a little bit. You wanna sit pretty straight in your chair. You might slide your bum to the front of the chair so that you're not leaning back and slouched. You wanna have some energy in your body. Both feet on the floor, place your hands someplace comfortable, either on your lap, arms of your chair, the table or desk that you're sitting at. Close your eyes. Try to feel a balance in your posture between relaxation and alertness. You don't want anything in your body to feel tense, but you don't want to be so relaxed that you might drift off to sleep. Now with your eyes closed, just take a second to bring your attention into your body. Notice what it feels like to be sitting. Now shift your attention to your breath. You don't need to change how you're breathing. You can breathe naturally. Notice where you feel your breath most predominantly. It might be the tip of your nose, your belly, maybe your whole abdomen rising and falling. Don't think about it too much. There's no right or wrong answer. Just pick one of those places where you feel your breath and rest your attention there. Notice the sensations in your body as you breathe in and as you breathe out. And as your mind wanders, as you get distracted, simply notice that you're distracted and bring your attention back to your breath, back to that anchor point.
And as your mind wanders and you notice that distraction, don't be judgmental about it. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that you're bad at this or that it's not working. It just means that you're distracted. Simply bring your attention back to your breath. Now we'll move on to another anchor. So find a place in your body, a touch point, maybe the soles of your feet on the floor, your seat in the chair, your hands resting on whatever they're resting on. Pick one of those touch points and bring your attention to whatever sensations you feel there. Use that touch point as your anchor. Notice how those sensations change moment to moment. And each time you realize you're distracted, just come back to that touch point, come back to that anchor, that place in your physical body. You might feel the urge to fidget or to move. If you're uncomfortable and feeling physical pain, please adjust your posture. But if that urge to move is simply a distraction because you're feeling somehow bored or uncomfortable and your body is looking for something to do, try to resist that urge and simply bring your attention back to your anchor point, back to the sensations in your feet, your hands, your seat, wherever your attention is resting. Simply notice where your attention is. 
and bring it back into the present moment. Now we'll shift our anchor to the sounds in the room. Simply notice what sounds are coming into your field of listening. You don't need to go out searching for sounds. Just be relaxed and let whatever sounds might drift in, drift in, and let them drift out. If you notice yourself starting to label, oh, that's the air conditioner, that's the dishwasher, that's car outside, just notice that and come back to whatever sound is in this moment. Try not to let yourself be taken on a long train of thought about each sound. Just rest in the awareness of hearing. You might find yourself getting a little sleepy or tired. If that's the case, sit up a little straighter, maybe sit closer to the edge of your chair, bring some energy into your physical body. And again, you don't need to tell yourself a big story about it. It just means that you're a little tired. It's okay. Bring your attention back to hearing. And in our last few minutes, choose one of those anchors, either your breath, a touch point in your body, or hearing, and rest your attention there. Whichever anchor you liked working with, again, you don't have to think too deeply about it. There's no right or wrong answer. Just pick one of those options and practice resting your attention. And each time you're distracted, simply notice it and come back to your anchor, come back to the present moment.
Remember that every moment is a chance to start again. So even if you've been distracted this entire time, bring your attention into the present now. Notice what's here in this moment. And you can slowly open your eyes, remember where you are, look around, come back into your body, and take a second to think about what that experience was like for you. Was it easy? Was it hard? Was it relaxing? Was it sort of agitating, boring? And what did you notice? Maybe you noticed you were distracted a lot, you were having a lot of thoughts, Maybe you noticed that your mind was pretty calm. Just take a few seconds to reflect back on that experience. All right, so we're going to talk about how do we get from that, from that practice we just did to all of the benefits we talked about at the beginning. How do we get from that to increased focus, to better resiliency, to managed stress? So before we get into sort of the processes through which that happens, I want to take a pause and draw an analogy between mindfulness and mental exercise and physical exercise, because mindfulness really is exercise for your brain. So what do I mean by that? First of all, there's a cumulative benefit. So you might do one squat, feel great. You might feel a little stronger. But the next day, the day after that, a year from now, you're not really going to see any results. You need to practice consistently. You need to go to the gym a lot of times for a lot of time, right? You need to have that cumulative effort to see really deep benefits. That's the same thing with mindfulness. You can practice for a few minutes like we just did, and you might feel relaxed. You might feel a little more centered and grounded. That's great. But those benefits aren't really going to last over time unless you practice consistently. It's also about sort of the contribution over time. So as I mentioned earlier, and as some of you probably experienced, sitting in a mindfulness practice isn't always pleasant. It's not always relaxing. It can be really hard. It can feel really um, frustrating or boring or agitating. Same thing with physical exercise. You can go for a run and feel amazing the whole time, or you can go for a run and every step feels super painful, right? And it's a struggle just to get halfway down the block. Same thing here. It really doesn't matter, however, how you feel during the practice. Even if you're doing that run and it's such a struggle, you're probably gonna feel good later that day. Your cardiovascular system is improving. Your strength and endurance are improving, even if that period of working out was a struggle. Same thing here. Even if that few minutes of mindfulness practice feels really hard and actually feels agitating and stressful, it's helping you build the muscle of stress management, of resiliency, of improved focus, 
in the rest of your life. So you don't want to judge the practice by what it feels like while you're doing it. You really want to look at how it's impacting the rest of your life. You also need to do it. So I'm sure some of you have been in situations where you've heard people go on and on about the benefits of cardio or the benefits of weightlifting. And you might think to yourself, yeah, that makes sense intellectually. I get how that would work, but I don't really fully understand it because I'm not lifting weights. And then you start lifting the weights and then you really experience the benefits for yourself. And all of those things that other person was talking about really make sense. You don't just experience that understanding intellectually, but you really feel it. You get it because you're living it. Same thing here. All of these benefits I'm talking about and the things I'm going to talk about in a few minutes, they might make intellectual sense, but until you've done the practice and you start to see it for yourself, it doesn't really click. It doesn't really sink in. So if as I'm going through some of the next slides, you're like, I don't know if I get it or yeah, it kind of makes sense, but I wonder what that would be like. Really try the practice. Once you start experiencing it for yourself, it will all click. It will all fall into place. And mindfulness is just one tool. As I said before, I'm teaching you particular techniques using the body as an anchor. We're going to talk about some more techniques later on techniques that help you find this natural attention that we all engage in every day, whether we know it or not. There are a bunch of other techniques out there. There are a bunch of other practices out there that get you similar benefits. So if what we do today doesn't really resonate with you, that's okay, right? Like not everyone's a runner. Not everyone's going to lift weights. So you find the physical exercise that works for you, that you like doing. So take this as one tool, but if it's not your thing, don't cross mindfulness off your list entirely. Be curious, do some research, experiment with different techniques and find the thing that will work for you. So what are some of the outcomes we can expect to see? As we practice mindfulness over time, we move from this state of stress into a more calm, balanced state of equanimity. And there are three ways that this happens, three sort of buckets that I like to talk about. The first is that mindfulness helps us recognize and question the thoughts that we're having. Some of you might have noticed in that practice that you were having a lot of thoughts. That's not a bad thing. That's actually a great thing that you recognized that. The next is distancing. Mindfulness helps us get some distance from whatever situation that we're in so that instead of habitually reacting, we can respond skillfully and effectively. And mindfulness helps us sit with uncomfortable emotions. It helps us be with discomfort in a more productive way. So first we'll start with questioning. So our minds are always thinking. Thoughts are always bubbling up. And what happens for most of us is these thoughts are happening at an almost unconscious level, 24-7. We're not really aware of them. Some of them are very loud and prominent, those we're aware of. But we have a bunch of thoughts happening in this sort of background, undercurrent level. And those thoughts are filled with assumptions, judgments, beliefs, and that's what directs our behavior. That's what forms our actions. That's what forms our opinions about people and situations. As we practice mindfulness, we start to become aware 
aware of all those different levels of thoughts that are happening. And that helps us be curious about those thoughts. We ask ourselves whether those are thoughts that are actually helpful and productive and based in reality, or whether those are thoughts that are sort of coming in from nowhere and influencing our behavior in a way that's actually not helpful for us. So what's happening in the brain? So there is one part of the brain that is responsible for collecting information, for gathering data, for gathering evidence. And there is another part of the brain that is responsible for taking that information and analyzing it creating a story about it. The brain wants to make meaning and tell stories about the information we're collecting. However, when we have gaps in information, when we have gaps in that data, our brain still needs to make a story out of it. So it doesn't say, oh, not enough information here. It just creates a story anyway. And those stories aren't very good. They're not really based in fact. As an example, we have all been in a situation where we have gotten an email from a partner, a client, a supervisor that just says, come to my office, or in today's world, please call me, with no context. And before we know it, we are on this downward thought spiral, anxious, thinking we're getting in trouble, we did something wrong, we're getting fired, our lives are going to be miserable from here on out. All we have is the evidence of this ambiguous email, this come see me or call me email. And we've created almost instantaneously this whole story about how we're in trouble, we're going to get fired, our life is going to be ruined. And we feel a physical impact from that, right? We feel that physical stress and it impacts our behavior. When we pick up the phone or head into that person's office, the way that we carry ourselves, right? The first things that we say are influenced by this story we've created. As we practice mindfulness and as we get more aware of the thoughts we're having, we're able to actually see this process and question whether the story that we're telling ourselves is true, whether it's something that we actually want to believe or need to believe. So in this case, you might find yourself having that stress reaction and then you can take a step back and say, wait a minute, what is the evidence here? All I have is an ambiguous email. I have no real evidence that I messed something up, that I'm in trouble, that I'm getting fired. Those are all just thoughts that are bubbling up. So I like to say our thoughts are real in that they're happening, but they're not necessarily true. We have thousands of thoughts, if not more, every day that are just completely out of left field, not based in reality. But if we're not conscious of that, those thoughts and those stories are still impacting our behavior. So mindfulness helps us become aware of our thoughts, helps us question our thoughts so that we can believe the thoughts that are actually helpful for us and sort of let go of these stories that we're telling ourselves that aren't really based in reality. So some examples that come up for many of us, these sort of subconscious thoughts that are impacting our behavior that we're probably not even aware of. I'm not good enough. I'm not capable. This is a terrible idea. We've always done it this way. We're not, it's not going to change. So why even bother? And here are some questions that you can ask yourself to decide if these are thoughts that are really based in fact, thoughts that are true, thoughts you wanna believe, or if these are just the stories that your brain is making up based on a lack of information. 
So now we're going to move from thoughts into emotions. Now, many of us, especially lately, are experiencing a variety of really strong emotions. And our typical ways of responding to these emotions are one of three. We project. Maybe we're feeling anger, but we don't want to take ownership of it. We have this sense that there's anger in the air. We don't want to say that we're angry. So we look to the person that we're in a conversation with and say, you seem really angry. I bet you're really angry right now. And the other person's like, no, I'm fine. What are you talking about? But you're like, nope, I think you're angry. That is projection. We project the emotion onto somebody else. Or we ignore it. We're angry, but we don't think we should be. We don't want to be angry, so we're in denial about it. We tamp it down. We pretend it's not there. Or we obsess. We're really angry, and it's all that we think about. It's all we want to talk about. We let it influence and impact every aspect of our lives. As you might imagine, being in one of these buckets is not super helpful or productive. We want to find a different way to be with difficult emotions, and mindfulness helps us get there. So when we're feeling a strong emotion, we are in the Ron Burgundy glass case of emotion. And I want to talk about two concepts here, reality testing and impulse control. So these are both components of emotional intelligence. And I know for me, before I got into this research, I always equated emotional intelligence with empathy, with this idea of putting yourself into somebody else's shoes, understanding what emotion they might be experiencing. But the research tells us that emotional intelligence is actually made up of several core competencies, and impulse control and reality testing are two of them. But there are two that are very important when you're feeling a strong emotion, and two that mindfulness can help a lot with. Impulse control. It's exactly what it sounds like, the ability to control your impulses in the face of strong emotions. So we see this play out in a couple of ways. You feel an emotion you don't like, you turn to maybe an unhealthy coping mechanism. Alcohol, food, drugs, mindlessly scrolling Instagram, shopping, whatever, taster's choice, whatever it is for you. Or you read a headline and you give in to the impulse to immediately go down that catastrophizing thought spiral, imagining every horrible thing that might possibly happen to you in life because of this one headline you read. Or you're feeling a lot of emotions. The example here, you've had a really rough day at work. Maybe you did mess something up. People are upset with you. People are frustrated. You're frustrated with yourself. You're angry at the situation. You're feeling all of these feelings. And then later that night, your partner, your spouse, your significant other, your roommate opens the dishwasher and says something snarky but fairly benign, like, oh, like, why did you load the dishwasher this way? I, you know I hate it when you do it this way. And you lose your mind. You have a completely outsized reaction. And the person that said the thing about the dishwasher is like, why are you being such a jerk? What is wrong with you? What is happening? So what is happening? So you are living in this storm of emotions from whatever happened at work, that frustration, that anger, that irritation, that anxiety. You are in that emotional storm. And when you get this additional input of the snarky dishwasher comment, you react from that storm instantaneously. You give into that impulse to go with that habitual reaction of 
anger, frustration, annoyance, whatever is coming from that emotional storm. That's not going to be the most effective if your goal is to have a pleasant night with whoever you live with. So mindfulness helps us recognize that that storm is happening. It helps us do something called reality testing. And I alluded to this earlier in when we were talking about thoughts. Reality testing is the ability to take all of the information we have, including emotional information, and test it against what's actually happening in the present moment. So as we're practicing mindfulness, we're building this ability to know what's happening right now, both internally, emotionally, and also externally. So in that example I gave with the dishwasher, mindfulness helps us say, wow, I'm really feeling a lot of emotions from what happened today at work. I'm feeling that anger. I'm feeling that frustration. I'm feeling that annoyance. As that additional input of that snarky comment comes in, it gives us a little distance. And I don't mean distance in the sense of time, but it does give us almost a half second, a split second of noticing, oh, I'm about to react from this emotional place of what happened today. But what's actually real right now? What's happening right now is that somebody said something fairly benign about how you load the dishwasher. What is the effective response? What is a skillful response? Oh, take that in and say, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I wasn't thinking, or, hey, you know, we always disagree about the dishwasher and turn it into kind of a joke, right? Whatever the effective response is going to be. Understanding that you had that emotional storm happening and being able to observe it, that takes some of that charge out of what you're feeling so that when that comment comes in, you can do this almost instantaneous reality testing and think, what is going to be the most effective response, as opposed to reacting habitually to giving into that impulse. So in this way, mindfulness helps us build a little distance between what's happening and how we're feeling, how we're reacting, how we're responding, so that we can choose to respond in a way that is more effective and more skillful. Now, if any of you are Bravo fans out there and watched this week's Below Deck, um, Captain Glenn said something to the effect of, never in the history of calming down has telling somebody to calm down actually resulted in their calming down. So when we're feeling that emotional storm, that anger, that frustration, that irritation, we might realize it, right? We might have that mindfulness to be able to say, wow, all of this stuff is happening, but we might be so in it that we can't resist the impulse to react. We can't resist that impulse to say that thing to our spouse or our roommate that we know is gonna make our lives miserable for the next several hours, right? We just can't resist that impulse. So when you're feeling so caught by your emotional experience, I want you to try diaphragmatic breathing, breathing with your diaphragm. So how we do this, we put one hand on our chest, one hand on our belly, and as we breathe, we only want the hand that's on our belly to move. We want our chest to stay where it is. When we're breathing in our throat and in our chest, that's a fight or flight, that's a stress breath. When we're breathing through our bellies, using our diaphragms, we're both bringing attention to our body in a way that's really mindful and promoting that mindful attention, 
but physiologically, we're decreasing the cortisol in our system. So cortisol is our stress hormone. When we do this diaphragmatic breathing, this deep belly breathing, we're decreasing the level of that hormone in our body so that we are more able to handle whatever is happening around us. So we're gonna practice this for a few seconds. What we're gonna do is we're gonna breathe in for four seconds, hold for two and breathe out for four seconds. And again, keep one hand on your chest and one hand on your belly. Make sure that the hand on your belly is the only one that's moving. You're gonna see some circles come up on the screen. It's gonna help with the count. I'll lead you through the first one and then you can take it from there. So breathe in, hold and breathe out. So that was just about 30 seconds. This is the type of breathing exercise where you should actually feel a little more relaxed after because we're decreasing that level of cortisol, we're triggering our body's relaxation response. So when you're feeling caught in that storm of strong emotion, practice this diaphragmatic breathing for 30 seconds to a minute. That will help you take some of the emotional charge away so that you're more effectively able to unhook from that impulse to react. And you can choose how you want to respond. Next, mindfulness helps us be with our emotions and that it gives us more information about what we're actually feeling so that we can process it and leverage it in a productive way. So when you're starting to feel an emotion, you wanna be, be able to answer these questions. What am I feeling? How is my body reacting to it? And what is causing it? So when I say, how are you feeling? Most people say, easy, feeling good, busy, tired, anxious. We kind of have these headline words. These are the words that we usually give people when they say, oh, how are you doing today, right? That we say 100 times a day. We need to go beyond this because if I just say oh, I'm feeling good, that's not really giving me a lot of information about my emotional experience. We want to be able to be super specific about what we're actually feeling. So emotions are simply a combination of thought patterns and physical sensations. And we've already seen how mindfulness helps us be more aware of our thoughts and bring attention to what sensations are predominant in our body. So mindfulness helps us identify the unique combinations of thoughts and sensations that lead to each of these specific emotions. So I usually have my clients as an exercise once a day for seven days, take a look at this sheet and pick an, a word that describes whatever emotion they're feeling in that moment. That's the JV level. The varsity level, you identify the emotion you're feeling and you take some notes about how you know you're feeling it. What is the combination of thoughts and sensations that lets you know you're feeling annoyed or you're feeling defensive? That level of investigation helps you be really nuanced. Are you irritated or are you frustrated? Are you depressed? Or are you feeling despair? Why do we care? 
we care because the more specific we can be about what we're feeling, the easier and more effective it is to know how to use that feeling in a way that's going to be helpful and productive. We might be able to leverage that feeling in a way that helps us reach our goals. We might be able to shift that feeling to something else that's going to be more productive. But we need to be really specific about what we're feeling if we want to know how to change it or how to use it. So the varsity version is taking notes on your thoughts and your bodily sensations. This is like the NCAA division one version. Once you've identified what you're feeling, you know that you're feeling it because you've identified your thoughts and your bodily sensations. You have a sense of why you're feeling it because you have looked at kind of the situation that led to it. Now you wanna figure out what to do with that emotion. We don't wanna project, obsess, deny. We actually wanna use it. Ask yourself, how might this emotion be helpful? Anxiety, if you're feeling anxious about giving a presentation, that anxiety is actually probably helping you and that it's making sure that you're preparing as much as you need to prepare. What is it telling me I need? Our emotions are usually telling us that we need things from ourselves, from our environment, from other people. How can we get that? How is it serving my goals? If you're feeling particularly anxious about the coronavirus, that anxiety is actually probably helping you keep safe in that it's reminding you to wash your hands and be vigilant about what you're touching and what you're bringing into your home. On the other hand, that emotion might actually not be helping you serve your goals. So if that's the case, you wanna ask, what can I do to shift this emotion? If you're about to lead a meeting and you're feeling super frustrated and you want the people in that meeting to leave feeling optimistic, energized, ready to do their work, feeling frustration is probably not gonna lead to that outcome. They're gonna pick up on that frustration you're feeling and they're gonna feel uneasy, anxious, irritated, angry. They're not going to feel all of that positive stuff that you want them to feel. So what can you do to shift that emotion? And again, the more specific you are with what you're feeling, the easier it will be for you to know how to shift it. And what you need to do to shift it and how to shift it, that's really unique to every person and to every emotion. It might be something as easy as doing some of the diaphragmatic breathing. It might be having a conversation with someone to sort of vent it out. It might be looking at a picture of your adorable dog. Only you know how you can shift it, but you need to know what you're feeling first in order to identify that next step. So why is this important for lawyers? Why do we particularly care about this? Because we have a set of traits and live in an environment that makes us especially susceptible to stress. We are high achievers. We have a low tolerance of weakness in others and especially in ourselves. We are on a 24 seven schedule. We have no time to integrate and recover from stress. It used to be you would go home and spend time with your friends and family and you would have like 16 hours, not just to sleep, but to really think about everything that happened that day. Let that emotional experience run through you, process and metabolize that stress. So you could go back to work the next day feeling energized and ready to engage. We don't have that now. We are always just dealing with the next thing, dealing with the next thing. And you hear people, I'm sure many of you have thought or said things like, I just want to go someplace and unplug and be quiet and be alone and just not have anything else coming into my system. I just need everything to kind of detox, all of this stress to move through. 
we don't have that time anymore. So we're always sort of in this heightened level of stress. We're dealing with deadlines, sense of urgency. Right now, always in our job as lawyers, but especially now, there's a lack of predictability and a lack of certainty. And that's why you're seeing a lot of people have a hard time these days, because we don't know when this current situation is going to end or what it's going to look like if it does end. We're also trained to be issue spotters. We're living in a worst case scenario world all of the time. And we all have some personal traits. I can say this because I am a lawyer, so I can identify with these. Uh, we tend to have low resilience. We tend to have low sociability, a tendency to see problems as permanent. This went wrong today, it's gonna be wrong forever. Pervasive, this went wrong at work, now things at home will start going wrong. And personal, this bad thing is happening to me because I am not good enough. I shouldn't be here. Things always happen to me. Some of these you can see make us really good as lawyers. They make us good at our jobs, but they make us really bad at handling the stress in our lives, right? They make us really prone to take finding stress, taking it on and not processing it and using it well. So if we don't want to get to that place of burnout, if we don't want to find ourselves really suffering, really struggling, we need to be proactive about how we can take care of ourselves, how we can handle the stress that we're constantly in, how we can handle not just our stressful jobs, but also these sort of personality traits and these characteristics that make us more prone to identifying and staying in and staying with stress. And mindfulness is that proactive thing you can do. That is the thing that builds your resiliency and builds your ability to be in the stressful environment but still have some equanimity. So how do we do it? This is all about one moment of mindfulness over and over and over and over again. Every moment of mindfulness, even if it's a second, is sort of a penny in the piggy bank of building your resilience. You want to try to have a daily practice, like that seated practice we did earlier. It's just like going to the gym. If you go to the gym regularly throughout the week, you are more likely to make healthier choices throughout your days. If you practice mindfulness for a set amount of time every day, you are more likely to remember to have these moments of mindfulness throughout your day and your week. So if you can put together, it doesn't have to be 20 minutes. A lot of people go to this 20 minute time limit. It doesn't have to be 20 minutes. It can literally be two minutes, five minutes, one minute. The amount of time is the amount of time that you will actually be able to do consistently. Pick that number, do it every day, as many days as you can. If you miss a day, it's okay. Just do it again the next day. Having something regular and formal will remind you to come back into the present moment as you're living the rest of your life. Have moments of intentional practice built into your day. So with physical exercise, sometimes we'll say, oh, every time I'm about to take the elevator, I'm gonna take the stairs. Same thing with mindfulness. Every time you're about to answer your phone, take a few seconds to feel your breath come in and out and then pick up the phone. Every time you walk to the bathroom or walk to the printer if you're in an office, feel your feet on the floor. That doesn't mean you need to walk very slowly and weirdly and the people around you are like, what are you doing? You can walk normal. Nobody needs to know what's happening inside, but your attention is on what your feet feel like hitting the floor step after step. That's bringing you into the present moment. So find moments throughout your day, things you do all the time, brushing your teeth, making your coffee, 
where you can bring your attention into the present moment, feel the physical sensations of that activity. And give yourself intentional moments of recovery. When you know you are in a stressful situation, if you have a stressful video conference or a stressful meeting, don't just immediately go to the next thing. Don't immediately get on the internet and try to distract yourself. Don't find that distraction or find that next thing to be productive with. Take a second to metabolize what just happened. Maybe look outside, look at the sky. Remember there's a big world out there. Snuggle your pet if you're at home and you have a pet. You know, look at a picture of some fun time you had on vacation. Whatever is going to be resonant and meaningful for you, give yourself a few seconds, a few minutes of time to recover. And this isn't going to mean that suddenly you don't feel stressed and unicorns start galloping by and rainbows appear. But these small moments of recovery, just like these small moments of mindfulness, all add into this big bucket of resilience. So purposefully give yourself those moments of recovery. I know there's a lot here. We talked about a lot of different techniques and things you can do. Really just pick one thing, start to do it consistently. Notice how the people around you react, but also notice how you react. This isn't something where you're going to have some lightning strike and suddenly you can handle stress amazingly. But over time, you will look back to how anxious you felt, how stressed you felt, how, what level of resiliency you had. And after practicing mindfulness for a few weeks, for a few months, even longer, you'll look back to how you used to handle situations and realize that you have come an immense distance, even by doing one thing, one minute a day, building up those moments of mindfulness, those moments of recovery, you will notice a big change. So here's my information. If you open up the camera on your phone and scan this QR code, it'll take you to the website so you don't have to write down my email. You can find it there. Please reach out if you have any questions. I am just going to give a quick little check to our question box to see if anybody has submitted any questions. Um, if you do have any questions and haven't submitted them and you want to, I will give you a few minutes here to write them in. Um, but again, as you're thinking through this, um, please reach out. There are so many resources out there, um, so many articles, podcasts, books, YouTube videos. You can get great information about this, and I really encourage you to give it a try. Stick with it. Find the technique. Find the, um, the practice that works for you. You will see benefits, even if you're doing something just for a couple of minutes every day. So it looks like there aren't any questions. Um, so we will wrap it up. Thank you all again for coming. Good luck out there. I know that we are in stressful times. Um, so I hope that you have found something today that you will um, practice and try and find useful. So have a great day and a great rest of your week. Thanks so much.